Hello everyone, I'm Vaishnavi Kara and this is the Necessary Symbiosis Podcast. In the past few episodes, I've been discussing how certain topics of science are super important in understanding the necessary symbiotic relationship between science, government, and people. But I'd like to switch gears a little bit in this episode and in some of the upcoming episodes as well. Um, I'd like to start talking about things that make us human, things that make us more empathetic and can help unite us as a country, especially after the recent events in the capital. Um, So with that, I'd like to introduce Jamie Russo. He is the author of the new book, The Underdog Paradox, Secrets to Battling Adversity and Stories of Real-Life Superheroes. Jamie and I went through um, the same um, publishing program where we worked uh, with a bunch of other authors and New Degree Press, our publishing company, in order to write a book within a year and publish it on Amazon. So you can find his book on Amazon as a paperback and as an ebook in the Kindle format. Uh, with that, um, please enjoy part one of our interview. I guess we should probably start with why you uh, wrote this book and what like inspired you to write this because it is very different yeah. from other books that I've seen that like talk about this kind of like grit and like perseverance and stuff like that. So what made you want to write this book in the first place? Reason that I was inspired to write a book was based on like my past career experiences that had given me the opportunity to work with people. Uh, that had overcome such extraordinary adversity in their own personal lives prior to starting a business that I thought they would make a really interesting narrative and almost study for me to get a better understanding of Mm -hmm. what drew other people to them. All of them in their own right have a really interesting kind of personal magnetism. And I wanted to study that. So I basically uh, spent the past year dissecting their mindsets, dissecting their habits, dissecting them as human beings to get a better understanding of what some of the core basic principles were that made these human beings unique. So the first character that I introduced in my book, his name is Luol Mayen. Mm -hmm. He is a former refugee from South Sudan. He built his first video game while growing up in a refugee camp in Northern Uganda. And he and his journey are incredibly different from most people that live in the United States. Yes, very he, much so. <laughs> his, his mother basically fled South Sudan on foot in the 90s uh, after a massacre took out her entire village. And uh, fleeing on foot with her two daughters uh, 200 miles to a place of refuge along mm-hmm. uh, that journey she bore her first son and she named him Luol, right? And so Luol's entire, the first 22 years of his life were spent growing up in a refugee camp. Uh, and when he was 13 years old, he saw for the first time a computer. He asked his yeah. mom about it. He's like, what is that thing? And she was like, uh, Luol, like, that's the computer. He's like, what does it do? And she honestly didn't really know much about it. But uh, being uh, a refugee, Luol told me one of the greatest things that you have is not necessarily uh, physical items, Mm -hmm. uh, something that we can hold in our hands, but rather this idea of hope. Mm -hmm. 
And so Luol's mother gave him hope by saving money for three years and buying her son a computer. He was the first one that had one. He felt like it was a huge responsibility of his. He's like, I'm the only one in my family that has a computer. I'm the only one in my village that has a computer. Like, what am I even going to do with this thing? Right. right. And so he walked three hours every single day just to get access to electricity. I'm not even talking internet. Like, I'm talking electricity to charge his computer. And while, while there, one day, like uh, someone downloaded something onto his computer, it just so happened to be Grand Theft Auto Vice City. And he starts playing this game. And he's like, what is this thing? It's amazing. Uh, like, how does he, at the time, he was like, he thought this thing like fell from heaven, basically. Like magic. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and so he just saw like how young people are drawn to things like games. He grew up playing soccer, he grew mm-hmm. up playing cards. Young people are drawn to games. Young people outside of where he grew up are very drawn to video games. And he just wanted to learn how to build one. So he right. did. And, uh, and really like building a video game in a refugee camp is probably very different from building a video game anywhere else. He right. built a game based on his own personal life and what he knew. Right. And uh, so his first game is called Salam. It is uh, a game that, uh, so Salam in Arabic means peace. And the basic idea is uh, he puts players in the shoes of a refugee forced to flee a war-torn region. Mm-hmm. It's like a high-tension runner game if our listeners are familiar with yeah. Apple Run or Minion Rush or any of those other mobile games where your character's running through a map. It's a lot like that. But uh, the main character is based on a person that means a lot to the wall it's based on his mother and so um yeah he launched and announced his game on facebook it went like mini viral within the indie gaming community all of a sudden people are inviting him to come speak at conferences in africa about building video games for peace and those speaking engagements led to larger speaking engagements mm-hmm. and all of a sudden luol is now being recognized by large organizations like facebook gaming and the game awards as being someone who's bringing people together around the world through video games. So for me, like, why did I write this book? Like, I've had the opportunity to work with Luol for two years and help him kind of break down this idea that he has about building games for peace and social impact and helping turn them into businesses. But really the thing that inspires me the most is not necessarily the idea about building the next billion dollar gaming studio. No, Mm -hmm. absolutely not. It's more so helping share the stories behind the ideas and the businesses that these people have and why it is so extraordinary what they're doing and accomplishing and how uh, the basic principles that they are applying about uh, grit and resilience and uh, overcoming adversity and and this broader idea of just hope and a positive attitude have helped people like Luol build really amazing things that no one else on this planet has ever really seen before. Yeah, I actually remember hearing a story, I think this was like, what, five years ago or something about a kid um, making a video game about being a refugee and I immediately started looking into it and like, oh my gosh, this is super cool. So then when you, when your first like portion of your book was about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I remember this. So it was, it was really cool to go back and relearn some of the things I kind of sort of knew about him and realized a lot of what we forget as human beings resides in people like him and his mother for having that kind of grit, that kind of resilience. We forget that when we're in a more privileged situation because we don't need to have that as often. So I, I think it's, it's really cool how you start with his story because I think his is a lot more um, well-known nowadays. 
especially in like the tech side. He's super well known. Yeah. Yeah, it, he's taught me personally a lot of lessons that I hope come across in, in the book, but I, I don't necessarily uh, tell the reader what they should think or see. I, I want the reader to kind of extract that on their own, but a couple of, of, of things if you read through the lines is just like, uh, there's nothing stronger really than like a mother's love. And I know not everyone out there has, uh, uh, not everyone, like, not, not everyone has the opportunity to like yeah. grow up in a family that's driven by two strong parents. But uh, if there's anything that we can learn from Luol's story, like he tells me this every single day, like he would not be here if it wasn't for his mother, you know? And um, and that form of like gratitude and understanding is something that's super important to him. And I want that to come across to the readers. Um, also like privilege is a very, uh, privilege is a really interesting thing when you think about different people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. So for example, Luol, uh, most of Luol's family actually went back to South Sudan in the early 2000s to mm -hmm. go and rebuild. Um, and unfortunately, there was a second civil war that came through his home country and just any of his relatives that went back didn't survive. And uh, meanwhile, um, the communities that are still there um, require a, a lot of support and they don't have that support today. And Luol tells me, uh, whenever his family had an opportunity to send money back home, and whether it was to relatives or neighbors or friends mm -hmm. or any family, um, they always did. They saw themselves, even though they were refugees, they saw themselves as people of privilege as well mm -hmm. um, in this scenario. And, and so I think privilege is always a really interesting thing to think about. Um, I, I'll tell you this, like it literally made my heart like bleed uh, when we all launched our indie crowdfunding campaigns to start raising money for our book. One of the first people that bought, pre-ordered a copy of my book was Luol. And I literally was thinking to myself, like what a selfless and incredible act. Like, yeah, man, like I, he only did it because he saw me posting about it on social media. And I was thinking to myself, why on earth is Luol the first even one buying me, buying my book right now. Um, but it just goes to show like how selfless he is as an individual mm -hmm. and like in the walls eyes or in his world, like he wants to pay it forward for, for me and like show his respect to me. But it's just like something I couldn't understand and, and really it still is something I will, I'll never forget. But yeah, being like one of those first people to buy my book is like Luol, like what on <laughs> earth, like, what an incredible human being, like, thank you. Yeah, he, he sounds super incredible. Um, and you have other incredible human beings in your book too. So who, who else other than Luol um, struck you in a similar way? Yeah, so one of the main all overall themes in my book is this idea of persever perseverance and resilience. And nobody else that I have ever had the opportunity to work with has embodied that idea or mindset more than Marcus Bullock. Mm -hmm. And Marcus's story uh, starts actually in a very uh, interesting way. 
uh, he also grew up with a very loving mother mm -hmm. uh, who would pretty much do anything for her son. But growing up on the streets of uh, Washington, D.C., uh, at the age of 13, Marcus began to spiral a bit out of control. And by the age of 15, he found himself sitting in front of a judge being sentenced to eight years in adult maximum security prison. Oh my and gosh. for the first two years of his prison sentence, Marcus fell into a deep, dark depression, as I imagine uh, many people would, especially a 16 year old. Um, yeah. and, and it wasn't until two years into his prison sentence when his mother came to visit and she sat down across from Marcus at the visitor's table and she saw just like in his eyes that there was almost like no life left in mm -hmm. him. And in that moment, she decided that she was gonna make like a personal commitment herself mm -hmm. to write a letter every single day until Marcus's sentence was completed. Uh, send a letter, send photos, send postcards, um, just to give him that idea that like someone else out there is thinking about him, mm -hmm. for one. Also, giving him a connection to the outside world, yeah. which is something like none of us maybe think about, but uh, when you think about what these people go through when we kind of force them into a very difficult place, um, like that idea of hope and connection to the outside world is, is so important. So Marcus's mother would send him a picture of a cheeseburger and she would say like, oh, like this, like, this juicy cheeseburger is waiting for you when you get home, right? Or she'd be like out shopping for mattresses and she'd send him a photo of a mattress and she'd say like, uh, like someday you'll be like sleeping in this nice comfortable bed. Like those little things are the things that like kept Marcus going. And uh, when he completed his sentence, he came out and like anybody else, applied to 50, 60, 70 jobs mm -hmm. and faced rejection after rejection after rejection when he was forced to tell all of his employers that he had just come out of a long prison sentence. Mm -hmm. um, but finally, uh, one employer kind of had like a different way of phrasing it on their application uh, rather than asking like, have you ever been convicted of a felony? It said, have you been convicted of a felony in the last seven years? Mm -hmm. To which Marcus was able to actually say, no. say yeah. that he hadn't. Right. And uh, so he landed his first job. It was at Sherwin-Williams. He was basically the person mixing paint at the paint store. That's so cool. And, uh, and uh, so one day uh, someone walks into the store and uh, asks like, hey, I really need someone to like paint my, paint my house mm -hmm. for me. And he's like, well, we don't do that. But like, I can mix you the paint for the house. <laughs> this person mm -hmm. was like, no, I really need someone to paint my house. So like in that moment, like a light bulb kind of went off for Marcus. Mm. And he was like, man, maybe I can make some money like on the, the side. contractor business or, yeah. <laughs> or painting houses or whatever it might be. And that was kind of his first like step or dip of the toe into entrepreneurship. That's cool. Um, long story short, Marcus like built that business into a company that now employs 18 to 20 individuals who are all returning citizens. Um, so Marcus awesome. was back to that community, but along the way, he realized that a lot of people were really interested in the success that he was having as an entrepreneur. 
Mm -hmm. Those people that he had met behind bars needed that same support that Marcus's mother had given to him. And meanwhile, for Marcus, it was almost impossible to send handwritten letters and photographs to everybody that mm -hmm. needed that support. So again, for Marcus, another light bulb went off in his head and he thought, well, what if I could build a company that enables families to stay more closely connected to their incarcerated loved ones in prison. Mm -hmm. And over the course of two, three, four years, Marcus has now built basically the first mobile application that enables anyone to send postcards to incarcerated loved ones in any prison awesome. anywhere in the country. This company is called FlickShop. And uh, to date, he and his company have sent over half a million postcards um, keeping over 125 families connected. And um, to me, Marcus, I mean, the, the thing that Marcus told me is like, there's nothing special about like what Marcus has done in his mind, in his words. The only thing that he's done that's special is just he never gave up, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's really the mindset of people that, um, that embody that idea of like, you know, against all odds, like no mm -hmm. matter what, uh, Marcus was you know, willing to put in the work and willing to stick with things when nobody else really believed in him. Um, nobody else believed in him, but he knew that there was an underserved community that needed his help and support. And he felt that empathy towards that community because he had lived in their shoes. And uh, he thought there was really nothing more important in life than to build this. And he did, so. That's yeah. super cool. Um... Are, is there a way for people that aren't families to send postcards and videos and whatnot to yeah. incarcerated uh, people just to say like, here, I'm your pen pal, like here's some stuff and this is what I like. Yeah, yeah. So FlickShop has a couple interesting new features. Um, uh, number one, uh, you, you absolutely can, uh, people, people in prison can sign up mm -hmm. um, to receive letters from pen pals through FlickShop, absolutely. Another interesting program that Marcus has launched is what he calls the FlickShop Angels program. So if you're interested in donating $25 or essentially 25 postcards to a family, mm -hmm. uh, the FlickShop Angels program enables you to donate postcards to children with incarcerated parents mm -hmm. um, so that they also can stay more closely connected to family. So a couple interesting things that Marcus offers there that, again, like nobody would be thinking about these things unless they had walked a million miles in Marcus's shoes. Right. And uh, I think one of the one of the things that is, is so important about a lot of the businesses that I share in my book is everybody kind of has that empathy for their end customer, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Everyone has that empathy uh, when uh, they've had to go through something as, as difficult or as challenging as what Marcus and Wall have gone through. Mm -hmm. And I find that so interesting about these this version of an entrepreneur, like the ones that do have that grit and and do face that kind of ad, um, adversary in, like, in life and um, somehow finds the way to succeed. Like they're the ones that uh, out of all the companies that I've at least noticed and um, like read about and seen what kind of actions they take, they're the ones that actually care more about empathizing with their customer. They're the ones that actually want to help the customer and their employees be better and have a better quality of life. Um, compared to like the more traditional capitalist types of companies, the ones that don't really care or don't seem to care. Um, and it's, it is fascinating that the newer generation of companies and startups that are coming out 
tend to focus more on the social justice, but I think part of social justice is also caring about your employees, making sure that they have a living wage, making sure that they have health care and all these other things that people are fighting for, um, for the big companies, the big, more traditional capitalist companies to have as a human right or as a human quality. Because we're all, we're all fighting for the same thing, to have a better life. So it, it is fascinating to me to see this happen right now. Yeah, I think you're really onto something. And uh, so the title of, of the book is The Underdog Paradox. Uh, what, I, what, I, what I talk about, I mean, I, I want the reader to kind of figure some of this idea out on their mm -hmm. own, because to be completely honest, it's a, a really interesting idea that doesn't have just one meaning. It has many, and it depends on who you are. Um, but the idea behind the underdog paradox is there is this phrase or common saying that some people may have heard before that being an underdog is possibly one of the greatest competitive advantages that there are. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a really interesting idea because in many cases, Luol or Marcus, being the human beings that they are, having the personal stories that they have, having overcome such extraordinary adversity as, as they have been forced to do, uh, that has enabled them to, in some ways, shapes and forms, give them some form of personal magnetism. Mm -hmm. In sharing their own vulnerabilities and being their true authentic selves and Marcus not being afraid to tell people, yeah, I served an eight-year prison sentence mm -hmm. when I was 16. And Luol not being afraid to tell people that he grew up in a refugee camp. Like there's something very special about their authenticity and their vulnerability in sharing that, that draws other people to them. I'll be honest, it's one of the things that drew me to them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the fact that we might call this an advantage is a really privileged way of viewing the world. Yeah. What I mean by that is Marcus would never want anyone else to ever have to go through what he went through prior to starting a business. The same with Luol. Luol would never want anyone to be forced to flee from their home and grow up in a refugee camp for 22 years and be forced to think that there's no hope or opportunity on the other side because Luol is really a, a one in a million. There's 27 million refugees around the world that haven't had the chance or opportunity that he has. So the reason I call it a paradox is for that very reason. But the reason as well that I want the reader to be able to start to think about this idea on their own is there's a lot of other meanings there. Mm -hmm. And this idea that you share about a lot of the younger generation nowadays thinking about social justice or building double bottom line businesses where mm -hmm. they not just are a force for economic good and putting money into the founder's pockets or building you know, economic equity, but rather also social equity as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we see a lot of companies as well uh, focusing on the environment. There's so many yeah. different interesting things that you can think about. And there are a lot of really interesting themes that are interwoven into this idea of the underdog story. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, the world's biggest challenges these days, whether you want to call some of them climate change or racial injustice or mm -hmm. their Me Too movement, there's a lot of really interesting, important social movements that are forming now that are far bigger than what any one individual could ever overcome or achieve on their own. They require mm -hmm. this collectivism and so we can also think about people like Greta Thunberg as underdogs against one of the biggest challenges that humanity has ever faced before, right? Mm -hmm. Or we can consider the work that 
Malala is doing mm -hmm. in providing education to young women around the world and shining a spotlight on some of those injustices as an, you know, another opportunity. So whether, again, you are tackling these with a for-profit business model that also provides some social good or whether you're building a nonprofit that tackles these issues, there's interesting debates on what the best solution is there, but it doesn't really matter. You are making a difference in whatever you are doing. Uh, Marcus, by getting up there and standing on stage at a White House press conference and talking about the importance of uh, resources for returning citizens that mm -hmm. may help us provide an ability to reduce recidivism rates is just as important, even though Marcus is building a for-profit business, as someone that's building a nonprofit that supports returning citizens themselves. So uh, I think there's a lot of interesting themes that can be interwoven into this idea of being an underdog or this underdog paradox, and whether you think about them as tackling the world's largest issues or people themselves that have overcome such extraordinary adversity, there's a lot of things that you can think about. You've been listening to Necessary Symbiosis podcast and my uh, interview with Jamie Russo, my first interview on this podcast. Um, you can find Jamie's book on Amazon. It's called The Underdog Paradox. And you can also find Jamie on Twitter at Jamie Russo.